God we can still trust the word of God. Amen. And uh, just saw actually a, a, a quote on the internet during the week. I took, took a screenshot of it. I think it just sums up sometimes what we have to deal with in life. Um, I was actually researching some stuff for the sermon. I came across this. The problem with quotes on the internet is that you can never be sure if they're authentic. Abraham Lincoln. You get it? <laughs> you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the information is out there. Even, even actually um, sermons and, and, and things you see uh, under Christian banner can be very confusing, can't they? There's a sermon about everything for every occasion. And uh, really, we're really living in a time where we have to really discern what is truth. But thank God this morning, the Bible is still true, always has been and always will be. And uh, thank you, Neil, for, for allowing me to speak this morning. Um, I was actually travelling to the, to the first midweek that we had when the church opened. It was about three weeks ago. And this text just dropped into my mind in the car as I was driving down. Uh, so much so I actually started to read it while I was driving. Not a good idea. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but uh, it's Numbers uh, 32, if you'd like to turn with me. And as you're, as you're just turning, maybe, I'll just pray, and then we'll read together. This is a little bit, a wee bit of reading on it, but not, I, think it's, I think it's worth doing. So let's, let's just pray, maybe, while we're turning. Father God, we, we do thank you, God, Lord, for that finished work of Calvary this morning. God, we thank you that we can stand, Lord, around, this, around that cross, God, and fully trust you, God, and commit our lives to you, Lord, Knowing, God, that, that you are in control has already been said. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your written word, God. And we praise you, Lord, that it's in times like these, God, where, Lord, where there's, there's mass confusion, Lord, around the globe, God, that we know, and we, we know that we can turn to you, God. Father, God, we can hear from you, and you can speak to us, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak, God, this morning in this place, Lord, and bring clarity, God, to our hearts, God, as, as your people, Lord, as the people of God, and lead us on with yourself, God, in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll just start reading maybe uh, Numbers 32 and verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilad, which indeed was, which, uh, indeed was a region for a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and Eliezer the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Atroth, Deban, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, uh, Eliah, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon. The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gath and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when, they, when I sent them from Kadesh Barah to see the land. And for when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore out, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from twenty years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Now the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert for forty years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. 
And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still the more the, anger, the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. And if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said to him, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed and ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterwards you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Amen. Amen. Just to put this, I suppose, in context, <clears throat> we're, um, we're coming in just at the, at the latter end of the, of the wilderness journey for the children of Israel. And uh, God has just pre has spoken to Moses in the previous chapter and told him about his, his death, that he wouldn't see the promised land. Uh, this land that Moses had led, God had used Moses to lead the children of Israel through the desert for 40 years, and Moses wasn't going to see it. And uh, after this, then, um, eventually they do cross in. So uh, you can imagine how Moses felt when these, these, these two tribes came and spoke to him, asking him not to take, him, take them over the Jordan. And, you know, this, this was a story of a, a vast multitude of people, people in their, in their millions that Moses was leading. And what I love sometimes, just we get a, a little, some finer details of, uh, into the lives of these people. So... Uh, and, and I think there's, there's a reason for this. So we, if we see in verse 1, it said that they had a very great multitude of livestock. And it has been suggested by scholars that these two tribes held a notable amount of livestock. A very great, it says, because they must have been good herds people. Must have been good herds men. Um, having left Egypt 40 years previous, with whatever the Egyptians give them. You remember now there were slaves that had no possessions. So they were loaded up and they left Egypt under Moses. Forty years later, they, ha they, they arrive here at this point with a very great multitude of livestock. Now, this must mean that they somehow managed to increase the herd, or at least maintain it, over the 40 years in the desert. And that in itself is, is quite something, isn't it? So for 40 years, they managed to increase, increase their livestock. It's grand. That's good in itself. But what a... What a what a work of grace and blessing that was. These people did not live, live ordinary lives, so for 40 years they find themselves with great possession. One scholar put it actually, he said, they didn't slaughter the calf from the stall or the lamb from the fold. And that's what a good farmer does. He doesn't waste what he has. He, he uses the best of the herd and he breeds up. Isn't that right? Many of you know more about than I do for the few stock I have. I leave it there. Now, they arrive at this point, the region of uh, Jazer and Gilad, present-day Jordan and they saw the place was a place for livestock saw their own eyes this is how far they'd come they looked around now um, if, if we look back at number 13 um, to the time when with, that Moses referenced to the spies going into the land 
We know that the spies brought back produce from the promised land, the promised land that they were all heading to, that they hadn't seen. And what they brought back was a, a, a big bunch of grapes, not right? and they carried it between their shoulders, pomegranates and figs. But what these, so they didn't really know what the promised land was going to look like. They didn't know what it was like apart from what they had been told. But this land here, they reckoned, was good for livestock. So it's probable that uh, even going by present-day Jordan, which um, wouldn't be great for agriculture unless it's irrigated, that this wasn't as good a land as the, what could have lay across the Jordan. It was land for livestock. And as we know around here, um, all the land around here is good for is livestock. You can't grow tillage on You certainly wouldn't grow grapes. Um, it's good for livestock. So it can be medium quality. But they saw with their eyes. So just to make a couple, just want to bring out a couple of points here on this. They saw what they could see with earthly vision. <clears throat> Even after being led by God for 40 years, they somehow lost track of being part of a bigger picture. And actually, it should have said, I've tried to get this message a title even from my own mind. And I guess it's keeping our eyes on the bigger picture. All right? So for 40 years, God led them through the wilderness. But they came to this point and they had lost sight of what God was doing. They'd lost sight of the bigger picture. And they only saw the earthly provision for their own stock. And it's fair to say... Uh, Without being part of this great journey, without God having led them this far, they never would have been in Gilad or Jezreel. They never would have sought. Uh, and I think it's important to say that this wasn't, just to put it in context, this wasn't some kind of land grab that God was involved in. God was bringing these people into a land to establish them as his own people. It wasn't about land for stock. It was about being part of the greatest gathering of, an, of, of people, a creation of a nation that would bring the gospel, would bring the word of God, would bring the prophets, and eventually the, 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 the lineage of Jesus, and eventually the salvation that we stand here under this morning. This was, a, there was something big going on here. Somehow these folk lost, lost sight of that, and they just saw their own need. Crossing the Jordan was always the plan, to cross over into that promised land, but they got this far, um, and stopped. And I think it's worth noting, noting actually at this point these people were still being fed on manna. They were still receiving the manna from heaven. The manna didn't stop until they crossed over the Jordan and Joshua, Joshua took them across and as soon as they ate of the produce of Canaan the manna stopped. So these men and women were still being fed by God miraculously and yet they lost, they managed to lose track of what was actually going on and why God had them there in the first place. They were inward. And you know, on the surface, you could say they had a lot of stock. They saw the bill of land. You know, I think there was a farm of land sold down the south this week, a thousand over, I think it was nearly 1,100 acres, and there's not a dreamer in the country that didn't think about it. It made 11 million. And, you know, we'd all love to have, get a bit of land, surely. There's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't, this is not what they were here for. There was something bigger at play. And it would be easy to say that maybe these people were content. They were content. And you could let them off and say, oh, well, look, they were content to have come so far. God had used them and blessed them and had seen the miraculous. And they saw the bit of land that said they settled down. But, you know, uh, Timothy tells us in, in chapter 6 and 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And I would suggest that it wasn't contentment at all that let these people sit down. And Moses used the words, will you sit down? Are you going to sit down while your brethren go to war? It wasn't contentment that led them to sit down. It was actually total discontentment with what God was doing and where God was leading them and with the leadership that they were under. It was total discontentment that had set in. Moses' reaction, of course, was stern. As we would say, he gave them the two bars. He knew exactly, straight away, he could see their heart. They said in verse 5, Do not take us over the Jordan. Moses had a hatred for sin. Romans, I think, or Romans Numbers 13, I think it said, I think it is that Moses was the most humblest man on the face of the earth. But yet, he was stern here in the way he, in the way he spoke to these people. He knew that the consequence in verse 7 of discouragement at this point would be detrimental to what God was trying to do, to that bigger picture. There was a possibility that, uh, a real possibility that everyone could lose sight of the bigger picture and start looking around for what they could see for themselves, what they could see around them. A chance to enter the promised land lay before these tribes, but because of lack of vision and understanding that they were part of something that was greater than them, they wanted to stay, and they specifically asked, do not take us over the Jordan. Another point, I suppose, as we, as we just move on and looking at Moses' reaction is, after considering the reaction, and, you know, God's grace, this is exactly why God, not, not the only reason, but we know God is a God of love, all right? And God showed his love to the world by sending his son to the cross. But before that, God demonstrated his love to the world through these people. And even though these people were thinking completely wrong, we still see God's grace and mercy towards them here. After considering Moses' reaction and listening to him, they proposed to follow um, Israel into battle. Verse 17, But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel. And then verse 18, we will not return until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. But we see here in Moses' reply, he could see the heart. You know, Matt, I can only see the outside, but God really sees the heart. And he knows where we're at in our walk with him. In verse 20, Moses, I believe, exposes a slightly blind spot here, even in their proposal. He says, um, if you, they said we will arm ourselves before the children of Israel, and Moses said, you will arm yourselves, if you arm yourselves before the Lord, verse 21, before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies and the land is subdued before the Lord, verse 22, you will be blameless before the Lord and this land will be your possession before the Lord. Moses could see the bigger picture. The battle was the Lord's. They were part of probably the most exciting thing maybe that ever happened in the world. They were right in the, in the middle of it. They saw it. Uh, from a human perspective, but Moses had always had his, his, his vision correct and always could see that it was part of, that there was a huge plan being, being outdone here. Verse 23, of course, that famous verse is often used, be sure your sin will find you out. And you know that's used in the gospel to preach the gospel, yeah? And uh, Spurgeon, he said that many a man preached a sermon about mother and theft and all these things and be sure your sin will find you out. But that verse is about the sin of omission, is about the sin of what we don't do. 
of what we don't do if we don't, do not keep our eyes on what God is doing. <clears throat> what they had actually done was they had asked to live on the periphery of what God was doing. They had asked permission to live on the very edge of blessing. Far from the tabernacle, which was the manifestation of the glory of God, the manifestation of the presence of God in that nation. And these men asked to stay on the other side of the Jordan. These people had, had lived up to this point incredible lives, absolutely incredible lives. They had seen things that we can only imagine. They had managed to even gather this livestock over 40 years in a desert Their lives were far from ordinary, but still they were not immune to losing sight of what was going on. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, of course, looking in. And that's the whole point, isn't it? Amazing that these these men and women didn't know, they couldn't have known, that uh, we would stand here today and their lives would would be part of the foundation of our faith and of our lives. And we could apply what happened to them to us. We, we can apply this to ourselves. In verse 23 it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. The question is, um, are we here to thrive and survive? Or, or can we hope, sorry, to thrive and survive um, if we allow similar thought patterns or to live in a season in our lives like that with that mindset that it's just all about us? And that if we take to become uh, just totally earthly minded and take our eyes off what God is doing. Uh, we can try and fool ourselves, I believe. And I think this is really the crux of what, what the Lord wanted to say to us this morning. We can try and fool ourselves by thinking that we are content. right? That we are content to allow um, mediocrity in our Christian walk, that we're actually just being content. We've come into a good place, and just like these people have come into a good place. You know, um, we can try and fool ourselves by thinking that, that we are arriving into an acceptable place with God where we will just sit, we'll just sit down, while our brethren go to war. We'll just sit. Um, while all the time we are failing to recognise the grace and mercy that God has poured into our lives to bring us to that point of blessing that we would even choose to sit down. Understand? There's nothing in our lives, no good thing, no family, no possession that God hasn't given us by his grace. We are nothing of ourselves. Everything we have comes from him. It's so important that we don't let this mindset into our lives. We need to be about the Father's business. We live at a time, we, I believe we live at a, t- a more exciting time than these people. When we look back at the, at, with the benefit of hindsight, you would love to say, just cross over. You know, it'll be all right. If they had a crossed over, would, God ha- would there have been room for them all? Of course there would have been room for them all. Would God have provided? Absolutely. 100%. God could have provided to bring them over. We live at a time now where God is doing something that is way beyond ourselves, way beyond the individual family, way beyond the individual life. And we haven't got the benefit of hindsight. We can't see what's around the corner, like we could see what's around these people's corner. 
But let's not fall into this trap of sitting down. You know, the possible return, the, the, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the undeniable, let's face it, the, the undeniable growth in, in, uh, in persecution of the church. And, you know, I say that as balanced as I can. You can't deny that the church has been put under pressure, great squeeze globally. We feel it, you know, in, in, a, very, in a very simple way. Um, that should ignite a desire for us to keep our eyes on the bigger picture and not be a people that would ever say, I'm in a good place, I'll, I'll sit back. Uh, during lockdown, actually, um, I, I think I was just thinking about this, actually, there's, there's going to come a time when referring to COVID or lockdown is going to be like talking about Christmas in, in the middle of May. It's just going to, be, it's going to be gone, you know, eventually it's going to go away. But uh, during lockdown, we... Um, well, like everybody else, we were at home, and a car pulled up one Sunday afternoon. Actually, it was a Christian man and his wife, and they were out uh, on a little delivery, would say, godly, godly people. And um, we sat down at the, at the bench outside at two metres, of course, and uh, we just discussed how things were. And he said that he'd been served the Lord, and he has served the Lord, this man, for 40 years, and he said he'd never seen anything like it, never seen. Of course, none of us had, but he just couldn't believe all the, all the work that he had done, all the service and out speaking to people, everything that he, he knew as normal was gone. And he said, I'm, I'm, I said, so what do, you, what do you think? I was really glad to, to get talking to him. I said, what, what do you think? Where do you think the church is at? And he said, well, you know, um, I'm talking to a lot of Christian families and they're all enjoying their time off. And I said, well, I'm certainly enjoying my time off as well. And he says, I don't know. He says, maybe, maybe, maybe this is the new normal. He says, maybe we won't be doing what, what we were used to doing. But he said, I, I still would think that it, this is only a rest period, that greater is still to come, and we will have to press in and move on with God. And, uh, you know, he encouraged me, because there was a lot of confusion. We didn't know if we were ever going to be back or, or what the world was going to look like. But I think God is inviting us again this morning to commit ourselves completely. Um, we don't want to be a people who live on the periphery and think that we're content, when we're, that it is contentment when it's actually not. Um, every opportunity we have in life comes from God and has to be viewed that way. Every opportunity for, for blessing, everything comes from him, but we have to keep it in context of the bigger picture. And incidentally, um, for these people who chose to live here, unfortunately, although God, Moses agreed, maybe I didn't emphasize that enough, Moses agreed, God was gracious, God blessed them. But in 1 Chronicles 5, we see that they were the first tribes to be taken into captivity by the king of Assyria, Paul. King Paul took them away. They were on the periphery. That's a whole, a whole other, whole other topic. But I really believe that this is it. I'm, I'm concluding that God is saying to us this morning: We are living at the most exciting time possibly ever in the world. Now is not the time to look around and sit back. Now is the time to move forward. And you know, I believe that God has given the local church. I wouldn't want anyone to go out the door wondering what is the barometer, how do I measure where I'm at with God. 
I, I believe our attitude to the local church is the best barometer we can have about where we're at in life, where we're at. Now, the local church is not perfect. Of course it's not. And people love talking about how unperfect it is, or imperfect. Sorry, I'm not even perfect, imperfect. Of course we know it's not perfect, but it's the only barometer, genuine barometer we have as to where we are at in our service with God. Are we adrift? Are we drifting away? Are we thinking about the east side of the Jordan? Are we thinking about sitting down? Now that, of course, when people get behind the local church, it's the responsibility of those to not be exhausting people and to be having things pointed in the right direction and be hearing from God, of course. But our attitude towards the local church, even being here this morning, is absolutely critical that we measure ourselves that way. We need to have something. God is not the God of confusion. We don't want anyone going out through the door thinking, I'm not allowed to have livestock. I'm not allowed to have land. That's not what this teaches. We have to keep our eyes fixed on what's coming, on what's ahead. All right? Thank you for listening. Amen.